You're listening to the Harbor Worship Center podcast with Pastor Mike Saint. For more information about the Harbor Worship Center, please visit us at harborwc.com. Enjoy today's message. First of all, great commandment. The Lord said in Matthew 22 and 37 through 39, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. All. A-L-L. And, and, and the second commandment is like this, that you love your neighbor as yourself. That means you've got to love your neighbor pretty good if you love him just like you love yourself. Y'all with me? And then there's not only the great commandment, but there's the great commission. Some have referred to it as the great omission. To omit doing something is just not to do it, knowing you should. But Jesus gave us the great commission in Matthew 28 and 19 when he says, Go therefore into, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. Say it with me. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. So what does it mean or, or, or what is the attitude, if you will, of Jesus concerning unreached people? I'm, I'm going to tell you something. I believe Jesus wants us to reach people, to educate them, and to deploy them in kingdom service. And now I know that we've got a lot of lost people right here in Camden County. That, that's evident. There ain't no doubt about it. We've got a lot of lost people, and we've got to do some work here at home, and we're trying to do that. At the same time, we cannot forget those who are lost abroad. Are you with me? Say amen. Throughout the Gospels, I find uh, a, a balance, you know, of the New Testament and the Old Testament. But I find out that God is concerned about people that are lost. And He's concerned about those that needs to be found and that needs to find a church. And, and let me just show you some of His preaching. Jesus, in Luke 5, was upset with people that was fishing and not catching fish. Some of you will understand that, ladies. You don't like to go with your husband if he ain't catching no fish. Huh? I mean, Kelly, I mean, if they ain't biting in 10 minutes, she's ready to go. Are y'all with me? But, but you're all about going. As long, Jesus was the same way. He don't like fishing without catching. And then he don't like an empty banquet table. When he prepares, nobody likes a flop. Nobody likes to spend thousands of dollars and try to prepare something to be beautiful and to be nice and nobody come. Nobody likes to ask for RSVP and nobody RSVP, or even worse, RSVP. Let me, let me hook all y'all up right now. I'm coming to your event on Facebook and they'll show up. Didn't call. Didn't care that you spent $500 on food. I ain't got no bones to pick and don't know of anybody, so y'all can take that as a grain of salt, how you want to. But it's just the truth. Jesus didn't like banquets when he prepared things and people didn't show up. So Jesus says to, he said, listen, go into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in. He didn't like sowing without reaping. We, we found that in Matthew 13. Uh, he, he didn't like it when seed fell on thorny ground or stony ground or, or, or you know, got choked out by other things. He liked to sow, but he also wanted you to reap. In Luke 15, he gives us an example of three lost things. There was a lost sheep. He didn't like that. He said the husbandman, or rather the farmer, left the 99 and went and found the one. Uh, then there was a lost coin. This woman called her neighbor and said, come help me look. I, I've lost my coin. And, and then there's, in Luke 15, a lost boy. 
And in all instances, we find Jesus going to the nth degree, going to the very next level to fix those that were lost and to reach those that were lost. He didn't like it when there was ripened fields ready to be harvested and no laborers to go get it. Jesus never liked it. In fact, he looked out and said, don't tell me it's four months and then comes the harvest. I'm, now, you got to understand. How many know that Jesus oftentimes used metaphors? Uh, Jesus oftentimes used analogy. He, he's right here. He's looking at a barley field and it's waving. You know, or, I'm sorry. Uh, he, he's looking at a field and it's not quite up yet. It, it's, it's maybe just this high. And they're saying it's four months. And it'll be ready to harvest. And Jesus said, don't tell me it'll be four months and it's ready to harvest. I'm telling you the fields are ripe right now and ready to be harvested, but there's no laborers. Pray ye therefore that the Lord of the harvest would send some laborers to help us go get them. He was not talking about the barley. He was talking about what it represented. He wasn't talking about the wheat. He was likening them to souls. He don't like the fact that we would talk about a harvest but not reap one. You know, faith without works is dead. Being alone. And you see, and today, God helping me after this video, I want to share with you about what it means to become a world Christian. Take a look. The job is not done in the world that Christ gave us to do and the mandate is still binding on us today. That's why we speak of unreached people groups. But the missions is the back-breaking, culture-penetrating, darkness-shattering initial work to penetrate, plant the church, see it flourish, get its own elders, train its own people, evangelize its own networks. That's the task of missions. It's not over. And that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. And the alternative is hell. And millions and millions and millions of people are on their way there. And we have the only means of escape in our heads and in our hearts. Jesus Christ.
count the cost. Brothers and sisters, this is not an invitation to an easy life. For 2,000 years, thousands and thousands of missionaries, the unnamed, no biographies written about them, just unnamed people of whom the world is not worthy, have counted this cost and put their lives at risk and reached the loss with the only message of salvation. challenge for us who live in the land of the free and the home of the brave, spoiled with all of the uh, amenities of life here. Um, did you see where over a billion people, 1.5 billion people live on less than a dollar and a quarter a day? One seventh of the world's population um, is living in slums. A billion people live in the slums. And we sometimes don't realize that because we're spoiled to death. Even those of us who live in government housing or projects that is provided, it's way, way beyond what much of the world lives in. So I want to talk with you today about becoming a world Christian. And I want to do it through taking a look at three perspectives, if I may. And first of all, I want us to just look back for a little while. And I want to remember um, a historical perspective if we will. In, in Acts chapter 2, and I don't have time to read it, but Acts chapter 2 was the day of Pentecost. Uh, there was people there who, according to the law, had to come. Every male Jew, 20 years old and up by law, had to come to the Feast of Pentecost. And the Lord poured out the Holy Spirit on that day. And that's how He sent it around the world. Because all of the people that was there, there were devout Jews from every nation under the heaven residing in Jerusalem. And they come there and they were um, for the feast there. And then the Spirit was poured out. And I believe God had the world in mind, not just Jerusalem. And He said, this is for you and your children and your children's children, as many as our Lord God shall call. He said that we would receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon us to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. So I believe God had everyone in mind even then. We have this parallel we find from Genesis 11 where God came down at the Tower of Babel and confused the language because of the imagination of the people in their hearts. But then we see it in the New Testament where God sent the Holy Spirit as promised and filled them with power and then scattered them around the world to carry the gospel to the ends of the earth. I look at some biblical examples and I see a missionary by the name of Jonah who was reluctant to go to Nineveh. 
He at first bought a ticket in Joppa and paid the fare thereof and headed toward Tarshish. And the Lord met him in the bottom of the sea. And he finally relented and went to Nineveh and God spared the city. Then I see the missionary, uh, the Apostle Paul. I see him as in a vision. He saw a man from Macedonia beckoning, saying, Come over and help us in Macedonia. Paul would later uh, take you know, that missionary journey as well as two more. Um, he would say, I have gone from there uh, all the way around, and I have preached like 750 miles without a Mercedes, without a Cadillac, Without an AC system, without a PA system, without a suit, without any of that, he done it. And then I think about the Apostle Peter who was very close-minded and thought that the gospel was for the Jews. And he had this great vision and God showed him that, you know, this is for not only the Jews, but it's for the Gentiles as well. It's not just for one people group. It's for those who are created in the image of God. Amen. Give him praise. I think about R.M. Evans. I don't know if you're familiar with R.M. Evans, but he had a passion for missions. He became the first missionary. He and his wife drove a wagon and a team of mules to Miami, Florida. In, on January the 4th, 1910, he and his wife became the first missionaries of the Church of God to be sent abroad, sold everything they had, and went on what they called a one-way ticket. In those days, people said, God has called me to the Bahamas, or God has called me to India, or wherever. And they took that to be a sign from God that that's where they would spend their life. William J. Or let me ask you, where's your passion at? Where has our passion gone? When we see stuff like that, you know what happens? Something wells up inside of us. But then we go eat lunch. And then we go home. And we sit in our recliners. And, and it gets out of sight and out of mind. And we're all guilty of it. But I believe God wants us to be uh, mind, not, not worldly minded, but be a world Christian. In other words, think about those who do not have what we have. God has blessed us. And I believe to whom much is given... Much is required. Amen? I believe when God blesses us that we are to pass that on to somebody else. I believe when God sends something our way, God expects us to do something for somebody else to keep it going. I don't know if you know William J. Seymour or not. He was a black preacher and I said black for a reason. I don't like the, the black-white deal, the red-white-green, all that racism stuff. I don't care nothing about it. I don't have time for it. But I said he's black because I want to make a point today. I could have just said he's a preacher and some of you would have known no different. But he was the famed pastor of the Azusa Street Mission. And while he was pastoring in Houston, he met Charles Fox Parham, a very um, um, prejudiced man, if you will. Parham had already been preaching and teaching the full-blown Pentecostal experience. But shortly uh, after, he, he had been invited to Los Angeles to the Azusa Street Mission. By the way, that is where Pentecost literally spread and went around the world. Not only there, but Topeka, Kansas, and, and a few other great places. But, but Seymour was said to have been given a one-way ticket by Parham. Um, the rest of his life he would live in Los Angeles and there he would pastor and there he would live and there he would die. Men have been sent around the world because of the fire that burned at Azusa Street. How is it that we treat uh, other people? Uh, the Bible tells us to be careful when we entertain strangers. And I know that's a scary thought nowadays. You pick somebody up on the side of the street, you don't know what's going on anymore. But we have to be sensitive to the Spirit as well. I don't want to get too deep into this, but I want to say God cares 
about the stranger. God cares about the widow. God cares about the orphan. God cares about the downtrodden. God, in fact, Jesus said, He said, um, uh, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was naked and you brought me some clothes. I was in prison and you visited me. They said, Lord, I don't know ever that you were hungry. I don't ever remember you being naked. I don't ever remember you being in prison. And Jesus said, Inasmuch as you've done it unto the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. So when you give somebody a cup of cold water, Jesus said, It's just like if I was thirsty and you brought it to me. Why? They're made in my image. When we give kids school supplies and when we, when we buy shoes or sandals or whatever it is we do for people, Jesus says, You've done it unto me. So let me say to you, I want us to not only look back, and that is a look back at what had happened, but I want us to not only look back, but I want us to look around. See, it's one thing to look back where I've been, and some of you are living, you know, in the 50s still, or the 60s or 70s. I want to tell you something, if you spend more time looking in the mirror than you do looking out the window, something's wrong. Because some of you are living in where you've been and what happened, and I'm telling you, I love it, but those days are gone. And we have to do two more things. We need to look out this window and that window, and that's where we're at right now. So we look back, now let's just sort of look around, and then we're going to look forward. Are you with me? Say amen. So let, let me give you a, a current perspective. Our, our current understanding of missions as it relates to eschatology, and eschatology is just a 50 cent word for end time events. It's a term that speaks of last things. We've seen the fulfillment of the prophet Joel. Uh, his prophecy that in the last days says, God, I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. It happened in Acts chapter 2. And then God began to deal with men and women and call them to mission fields. But I ask, I ask you this question. Where has our fire gone? Where has our mission gone? Last year, we took uh, 12 men and or, or 8 men and um, Four women to uh, San Marcos, Guatemala, and we built a house, and, and I'm proud of that. God helping us. We're going to go back this year. We've got a stronger team again this year. And, and I've been concerned about it, to be honest with you, because it wasn't going like it ought to go in my mind. Have you, how many of you know, it don't always have to go the way I think it ought to go, or the way you think it ought to go. The Lord says that we ought to be resting in Him and at peace in Him, regardless if it's my way or your way, because it ain't about my way or your way, it's about His way. Back to my brother I mentioned a moment ago, the pastor of Azusa Street, William Seymour. Um, so he's in Los Angeles, California, and from his church, Pentecost spread around the world. He was born in poverty in rural Louisiana to the parents who had been born as slaves. He, that is Seymour, had migrated to Indiana where he worked several jobs as a waiter in restaurants and as a porter on the railroad. you got to think now, this is in 1910, way before desegregation and all that stuff. And they were treated very bad. Are you with me? Say Amen. Yes, they were. But let me show you something. In 1905, um, he went to pastor a church in Houston, Texas, and there he met Charles Fox Parham, who had already been teaching, as I mentioned, the gospel. But then we come up with a, a fellow by the name of G.B. Cashwell. Some of you who studied Pentecost know G.B. Cashwell. He is the one that literally it seemed to bring Pentecost to the south. 1906, Cashwell 
was a minister of the Holiness Church uh, in North Carolina, his native state. He heard about the experience of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. He experienced a tremendous hunger for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and he agonized in prayer. He and his wife agreed together that they would sell their property. Watch this. We'll sell our property and buy a one-way ticket to Los Angeles, and we would go to the Azusa Street Church where... where Seymour was the pastor. Are y'all with me? Say amen. Upon arriving at Azusa Street and selling his property and everything he had to get there, he found out that the pastor was black. Are y'all with me? And he refused to allow black hands to be laid on his body. He went back to the motel room that night, and the Bible, not the Bible, don't say it, but his, his biography says it, that the Holy Spirit beat him down. <laughs> he said the Holy Spirit came in that motel room and just busted his chops. Much like the Lord did with the sheet that come down in at four corners and showed the Apostle Peter that he was not to be prejudiced at all anyway. He got up out of that floor on the motel room, went back and begged apologies from Seymour, if you will. The, Bi uh, the Bible, the, 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 they tell us that Seymour laid hands on him, as did other black congregants. He was filled with the Holy Spirit, a friendship was forged, and the gospel went across the south. Pentecost went across the south, amen? And God has to break down those barriers. And I'm going to tell you, I understand that oftentimes um, governments, oftentimes people, groups, they want to continue to stir that kind of garbage. But you and I as Christians haven't got time for it. Amen? I don't care who you are, what pigment of your skin, we were made in the image of God. Amen? And here's the real deal. Either we are saved or we're not. We are lost or we are found. We are going to heaven or we are going to hell. And I'm telling you, it's too late to play these silly games. Amen? We've got to be one in the name of Jesus Christ. And become a world Christian. It doesn't matter if they're Asian. It doesn't matter if they look like us or if they don't. They might be German. They might be Spanish, Hispanic, whatever it is. We have to carry them the gospel. Now let me try to go ahead with this. Looking ahead, I want you to understand this is anticipating the future. Future perspectives. According to the statistical data, 88% of the Assemblies of God and 75% of the Church of God's membership resides outside the United States of America. Did you know that? The Church of God has over 7 or 8 million members. And three-quarters of them live outside the continental U.S. Are you with me? That's amazing, isn't it? Same way with the Assembly of God. Eighty-eight percent live outside of the United States. And that's when we talk about it, the General Assemblies. It amazes everybody that, you know, 25% of the denomination makes 100% of the decisions for everybody in the world. This is how it is, huh? Well, it's a little better now, but that, that's, you get the gist. They, they live in what is commonly referred to as the majority world. It tells me that there's a lot of wheat to harvest. It tells me, there's, and listen, that's why they tell us that America is as well a mission field. Did you know right now we have Indonesia, uh, a population that is 97% Muslim. That have, they are, people are getting saved left and right over there. And they are sending missionaries to the United States. 
Amen. So what is our missionary work as we consider the events of the last day and what's happening? There is work to be done. I, I thank God. I, I thank God for the church of God and, and all of our other churches that are working to do something. A good friend of mine, Clayton Dowd, this week I have watched him several occasions preaching in Kenya. Arms wrapped around two black brothers. And again, I say I have to say black because you understand, but there they are. But but it's, it's just pastors. That's what they are. One's white and two of them's black. That's how it is. They're doing the work of God in Kenya. I've got others that are uh, around the world in different places that I'm seeing. Southeast was, uh, I can't remember where they, they were, overseas, Ethiopia. That's where, thank you, Lord. Uh, over there, doing work, wanting to partner as well with us into Guatemala. We've got work to, to, be, to be done, not just abroad, but we've got work right here as well. There's some work to be done, and yet there's work at home. How are we going to do it? What are we going to do? I want to tell you something. Time is running out. You know what Jesus said as I, as I try to tie this up? Jesus said this. What is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? His own soul. What would a man give in exchange for his soul? I want to tell you something. God has blessed us. God has blessed this church immensely. I look around and, and I just see I'm amazed every week at what God's doing. We're continuing to try to train. Last Wednesday night, I was not in here. I was back there in the surf shop training and talking and teaching leaders for the next move and the next step when we go to two services and trying to get all of that lined up. And I want to thank Aaron as well. And I heard some great things about uh, embracing his steps. Amen. So, uh, done a great work in here. I'm convinced of that. I'm telling you, God's got some things for us to do. Where does, it, where does it start, Pastor? Well, you know, the team has already selected this year, and, and we're at a point now that um, we'll be buying tickets in the next week or two. So, so it's, it's kind of too late to jump into this particular run to Guatemala. There's going to be others, but it's not just that. You know, where, you know where serving starts? You know where charity starts? Right here at home. It amazes me that some people would... Would, would say, well, oh, I, I, I would go here and I would go over there and I would do something over there that I won't even do at home. I highly doubt if you're willing to do any, if you're not willing to do anything at home, you probably wouldn't be much good on the field. <laughs> Are you with me? Here's the deal. As our ushers are coming now, I, I, here's my heart. Is that, uh, Everybody can't go to the mission field. I understand that. You know, you know why everybody can't go? Logistically, it's a nightmare. Everybody's not physically strong enough to go. They, they can't handle that. Maybe some of you have passed the window of opportunity to travel like that and to swing a hammer or, uh, or, or do the things that, that we'll do there. And maybe you just can't do it. Like, and that's okay. Maybe you have a fear of flying and you just flat ain't going to do it and you can't swim that far. <laughs> Whatever it is, I don't know. But everybody can't go. But everybody can pray. Everybody can pray. And that is the number one most needed resource right there is prayer. So, oh man, the offering ain't important. Yeah, it's important. But you know what? God's going to take care of it. The number one thing we need is to be led by the Spirit of God. 
The number one thing is that while, we there, while we're there, we will make an impact in the lives of people for time and eternity. I'm going to tell you something. You just can't comprehend what it does when you look into the eyes of a child or to the face of, of, of a middle-aged person and they hear the gospel, perhaps for the very first time. I, I couldn't even comprehend that, that so many people have not yet even heard the gospel. I mean, with the technology that we got and everything, I, I thought, sure, everybody's reached. That's not the case. And I want to urge you to be a part, and you can be a part by praying. Someone said, I want to do something. You know what you can do? I know this is too late to sign on to go this year. But there's a lot of jobs right here in the church you can sign on for. You can show your willingness and your desire to serve the Lord in whatever capacity. And when the next trip comes up, you can say, you know what? I'm going to be on that. Whatever it is. I don't even know if the Lord will give us to Thanksgiving or Christmas. We don't know. We don't know if the mission trip will ever make it. I mean, but here's what I know this. He said, when I come back, I want to find you working. When I come back, I want to find you working. When I come back, I want you occupying. I want you doing something. Me and Mike Hewlett had a conversation a number of months ago. We was talking about raising money and, you know, the cost of, and you know, obviously it's, it's expensive to do everything you do in church. That's just, that's just how it is. But he made a statement to me and I, I, it kind of stood out. He said, you know what, I don't think God wants us to just hoard up and stack up and stock up piles and piles of money. He said, I don't want to leave the devil one dime when the rapture takes place. Let's spend everything we got to outfit the gospel. I'm not talking, and I understand the tenor of his voice, and not he's not saying be stupid and just, but what he's saying is, let's use what we have to resource the ministry of what God is going to do. I'm going to ask you to consider with me this morning. Our budget to build that house is $10,000. We're around $7,075, something like that. It would easily be met among our group right here this morning. If money comes beyond that, we will distribute evenly among the, the people that are going. Now, some have already just paid in full and said, that's that and be blessed. But whatever is there we, we will just distribute that evenly among the team if there's an overage there but i'm believing that god will help us today and that we will meet that budget and that'll be done and taken care of now i don't want your tithe to go into the mission fund what good is it for us to send ten thousand dollars to the mission fund and be broke and can't even pay our bills are y'all with me say amen you're a giving church you're a wonderful and i'm gonna tell you something it has to do with being faithful to Him. And when you're faithful to Him, God is faithful to us. And again, I say this, God is good regardless if I have a dollar in my pocket or not. He's still God and He's still good. But I'm telling you, you cannot outgive Him. You cannot. By and large, when I listen to people that tell me, say, well, you know what, Pastor, I'm broke all the time and I want to look at their giving records, they're all upset. Now what's that got to do with anything? How, how do you give away more money and then God bless? How, how do you expect that? They still hadn't got it. And God don't do social promotions. You keep taking the test again until you pass it. That's how it is. You look around and you say, how is it that you give and God gives back? 
I'm just going to tell you this. I don't really know. Because now I know in part. But I do know this. He said, given it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Will men give unto your bosom? What we have need of, God will supply through brothers and sisters and partners in the kingdom of God. I want to go to him in prayer right now. You can give a number of ways. You can text it. You can do the iPad. You can uh, out there. You can go on the website. You can pay from however you see fit or whatever you want to do. doesn't matter. There's all kinds of ways. On the back of your envelope, some of you take advantage of that and, and set up an automatic recurring deal for your tithe and offerings. Thank you for that. I want to pray a prayer over you. And I'm believing that God is going to bless you. Now listen. Please, please don't mistake me. But I'm not telling you you're sowing this BOC and the truckload of money's coming to your house tomorrow. I'm not saying none of that foolishness. I'm not trying to, to dupe you into doing something you don't want to do. If you don't want to do it, don't do it. That's fair enough, isn't it? If you don't feel like this right thing to do, don't do it. So I, I'm not trying to compel you to do something you don't want to do. But I do want to pray a blessing upon those who want to be a part of what God's doing. And I'll pray for those who don't as well. And just say, be blessed in the name of Jesus. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at harborwc.com.